is mine. Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter number 3. While you're turning there, let me make a few opening remarks. As you know, there are many questions in life about a lot of different subjects. Uh, some of those questions are of minor importance, and there are some, naturally, that that are of major importance. Uh, it might have they were a child and they thought about, you know, what they wanted to be when they when they grow up. Uh, usually, uh, somewhere along the line, we you know we we change our mind about it. But uh, but we have all of those our education. It might have to do with our location, where we're going to live. Uh, that is so very important. It does make a difference where you live. Uh, you know, you can't be everywhere, so God wants you to be somewhere, and uh, it's better to be where he wants you to be than somewhere else. So the question might have to do, where, where do I live? And uh, uh, Bev and I have had to, you know, face that decision and answer that question uh, several times during the course of our life. And uh, as I've often said, I could preach anywhere, but I, I wouldn't be in God's will anywhere. So I have to be in the right location as well. Uh, the question might have to do with who you marry. You know, I've often said the most important things in the world, and you know, number one is your relationship with Christ. Number two is who you marry. I, I mean, that's as important as it gets when it talks about things here on this earth. Who you marry. And uh, I don't know if anybody just says, well, time for me to get married. Give me a girl. And, We've got, we've got questions. Who are you going to, to marry? But of all of the questions that we could ask, none are as important as the question I am about to ask you this morning. And here it is. Are you a believer? Are you a believer? Now, by believer, I'm talking about someone that is a Christian. I'm talking about someone that has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're talking about. And I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking and stuff like that. I'm talking about being a believer in the sense that you are trusting Christ as your Savior. Now, notice I didn't ask you if you are religious my, you could just go all over the world and find people to say, oh, yeah, I'm religious. You know, they could answer that question. I didn't ask you if you had been baptized. A lot of folks had been baptized, but, you know, that doesn't mean they're a child of God. I didn't ask if you are a church member. I believe church membership is extremely important, but it doesn't get anyone to heaven. I didn't ask that. I didn't ask, are you a Baptist? I think everybody, every Christian ought to be a Baptist. Somebody said one time, said, what would you be if you wasn't a Baptist? And I said, ashamed. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so there's a reason why. But listen, that, that's not the question. Because, listen, being a Baptist is not going to get you to heaven. I didn't ask, uh, are you a good person? You know, the, I, listen, there have been a lot of, speaking about worldly standards, a lot of good, quote-unquote, good people. I mean, good neighbors. They would help you out in a time of need. They're the kind of people that would treat you right. They are a good person, but they are not 
a believer? That's the question. Are you a believer? And your eternal destiny depends on your answer. It's the difference between heaven and hell. And you can't, listen, you can't afford to be wrong about this. You know, you can bet on a ball game and lose your money. You can, you can go to the wrong doctor and it will negatively affect your health. You can afford to be wrong about a lot of things, but if you're wrong about this, I mean, you've lost everything. And listen, you can admire Christ. Now think with me. You can admire Christ. There are a lot of unsaved people that admired Christ. Gandhi admired Christ, but he was a long ways from being a Christian. So you can admire Christ. You can even consult the teachings of Christ. You can follow the example of Christ. You can sing the praises of Christ. You can even pray for His help. I can remember a time in my life back before I became a Christian going off of Interstate 44 between Springfield and St. Louis and the 56 Ford and, and, and I went off and the, when, when I went off, the, the hood flew up and as it had been known to do. And I went off and I mean through midair and I, I don't know what I prayed, but I was doing a heap of praying before I hit the ground. So you can ask God for help and still not be a Christian. Everything hinges on this one question, are you a believer? And I want to encourage you to be honest about that, because it's really easy for you to deceive me and to deceive other people, but you're not doing yourself any favor when you do that. Be honest about this question, are you a believer? Nothing could be more simple than this. Nothing is more serious than this. Because being a believer has to do with two things, basically. Number one, who you believe. Who you believe. And, and of course, that's God. If you're a believer, you believe God. The Bible says that in hope of eternal life, which the God that cannot lie promised before the world begins. So God can't lie, and you have to make a choice. You have to decide, are you going to believe God? Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. He didn't say, I know what I believe. He says, I know who I've believed, and that's God. So if you're a believer, you've got to obey and, and believe God. But secondly, it also has to do with what you believe. You know, somebody can say, well, yeah, I believe God or I believe in God or whatever. But listen, that's not enough. You've got to believe what God says. And that has to do with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe, maybe the best way to look at this question this morning is to do so in the light of a conversation that took place many years ago between Jesus Christ and a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. John chapter number 3, and actually I'm just going to read one verse. I think most of you are familiar with this story. And so I want you to look at what is probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible, verse number 16. And keep in mind that this is the Lord speaking to Nicodemus. And the question 
The question is a question of belief. The subject matter has to do with the new birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again whenever he's old? He didn't understand that the Lord was talking about a spiritual birth. And so as the conversation goes back and forth, the the Lord says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Someone has called this verse the Bible in miniature. And and that's certainly true. I mean, here you just have everything crammed into one verse. The problem is a lot of people who can quote it do not really understand what it's all about. You know, it's easy to stand up and quote a verse of Scripture. A parrot can do that. But to understand what it's about is something altogether different. I want The first thing I want you to notice here is the mind of God toward the world, the mind of God, what God thinks, as it were, about the world. And and so it opens with this remarkable statement, for God so loved the world. Now, don't misunderstand. That does not mean that God is pleased with everything in the world. It doesn't mean that at all. Some people got the idea that if you really love me, you'll accept my lifestyle. If you really love me, you'll believe what I say. If you really love me, you'll support me in my sins. If you really love me, you'll let me have my way. And they totally miss the meaning of love altogether. So God's not saying I'm pleased with everything in the world, nor is God saying that I am going to ignore the sinfulness of this world. Nor is he saying, I'm just going to arbitrarily forgive everyone in the world. You know, even though they've sinned, I'm going to just, you know, blanket coverage, just forgive everybody. You see, because God is holy, because God is just, he can't do that. You see, God cannot be delighted with us as we are by nature, because the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? So since we've all sinned because God is holy, because God is just, and because God loves the world, God has to deal with sin on the basis of what is fair and honest. Because he's holy, he has to judge sin. So God devised a way where he can be both just and the justifier of those that have sinned. And he, he has done that in the person of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So while God can't be delighted with our natural state, he loves all mankind. Now, look, you and I read that, and it's not all that shocking to us. But keep in mind, he is dealing with a self-righteous leader among the Jews. And the Jews thought of themselves as, you know, being God's special people. I mean, God loves us. They didn't doubt that. This was not surprising to Nicodemus, you know, if he had said, God loves all of the Jews. I mean, they believed that. The problem was when he said God so loved the world, that caused all of the Jews to raise their eyebrows and wonder what in the world is going on. 
How could God so love the world that all of those Gentile dogs out there, how could he love them? And yet the Lord's driving home this point. It doesn't make any difference whether you're a Jew or Gentile, who you are, what you've done. God loves you. And he loves each and every one of us unconditionally. You can't do anything to stop God from loving you. And yet the same Bible says he's angry with the wicked every day. So how can that be? God is angry with the sinfulness of the wicked, but yet he loves you enough that he devised a means where you, by you could be forgiven. So that's the mind of God toward the world. But notice the mercy of God toward the world. It says that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the manifestation of God's love. He, he doesn't leave us to wonder about how God feels or what God has done for us. Romans 8.32 says, He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. In other words, God did not just proclaim His love, He proved it. You know, it's one thing to get up on the soapbox and, you know, and scream out to the world, I love you. It's another thing to do something to get evidence of it. So after the exclamation that God so loved the world, He gives evidence of the fact in that He gave His only begotten Son. It's amazing to me that a lot of people, you know, that they read this about God's love for the world, but then they totally ignore the evidence of it. There are people right now that are angry and bitter toward God because God doesn't do what they want Him to do. I've heard people say, well, you know, my grandmother was the greatest person that ever walked on the face of the earth, and, and she died at a relatively early age, and it's just so unfair what God put her through. I just can't believe in a God like that. And you hear all kinds of silly excuses. If you want to really see the love of God, you don't look back at the way God deals with grandma or grandpa. You look at the way God deals with his son on the cross at Calvary. That's the evidence of it. That's where God proved that he loves us there. And he proved it in a clear, plain, simple, misunderstandable way when he gave his son. God could have said, I love the world and, and I pity them so much. You know, pity is one thing, provision is another. God's heart was moved by our sinfulness. God's heart was moved because of the greatness of our need. And so he did something that is absolutely unspeakable something that is incomprehensible, something that is shocking, something that is beyond our understanding, and that is that he loved us so much that he gave his only son. And there's no way that we can estimate the value of God's precious gift. Now, consider what it means when it says here that God gave. You know, he could, and we could just go on talking for hours about the, the fact that God gave, and, and still we just barely touched the hem of the garment. But, you know, you feel like a little minnow that's swimming out in the, in the ocean. It's too much for you to take in at any given time. So let's reduce it down to two words. When it says that God do, it implies a substitute. That is that he didn't just die, he died for us. He took our place. 
That should have been you on the cross. That should have been me on the cross. He took our sins upon him. He died as our substitute. And we're able to be saved only because that Christ died for us in our place. Isaiah chapter 53 gives us that beautiful picture it tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all and describes the horrible agony and suffering that he went through there on the cross. Why? All because God loved us. So there's no doubt about it. We see the mind of God toward the world. He loves the world. You'll never meet a person that God doesn't love. In addition to that, you see here his mercy toward us. He gave his son. But notice the means to everlasting life. You know, it's one thing to think about what God has done, what God has provided. It's another thing for you and I to be able to appropriate what God has provided. So the means to everlasting life, notice he says that whosoever believeth in him. The Bible is clear that salvation is available to who? To all who believe. Think about that for a minute. How much easier could it get? To those who believe, they can be saved. Those who refuse to believe, he tells us in verse 18 and verse number 36, that they shall perish. So how you answer this question this morning is of utmost importance because you either receive eternal life or you perish. It's crucial then that we understand what he means when he says that to believe because, you know, somebody says, well, you know, well, I believe I've always been a believer. I've talked to a lot of people and you ask them, have you been saved? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? And say, oh, I've always believed. Well, we got to make sure we're on the same page as what the Lord is talking about here because when he talks about believing, it's not something that's deep, dark, and mysterious that, that we can't comprehend. I mean, listen, this is something that is so simple that a child can understand it. When he speaks about believing, he's talking about having faith or trust. And, and this is something that the weakest, worst, wickedest person on earth can do. So what does it mean to believe? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Number one, it's not just your mental assent to a historical fact. The Bible says the devil believes, but he trembles. You see, he gives his mental assent to a historical fact. And no doubt there are those people who could say, oh yeah, I, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe he was buried. I believe that he rose again. I believe he went back to heaven. You might even believe that he's coming back someday. But that does not mean that you are saved just because you have all of that information in your mind and you give your mental assent to that, you see. It's not, it's not just acknowledging what has happened historically, and it's not just a feeling you get. And it's not even a matter of you reforming your behavior. In other words, acting like a Christian. Because acting like a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. So what is it? This word means that we, that we embrace something as being the truth. 
It means that we receive something. And the Bible says in John chapter number 1 and verse 11, As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. How do we receive him? Well, the Bible says we receive him by faith. We're talking about complete confidence in the Lord. So when he says, whosoever believeth, that is, whoever has complete confidence in me, whoever has faith in me, whoever is willing to trust in me, they shall be saved. The Bible really gets down on our level and makes it as simple and easy as we can understand a lot of times, in, in, in let's say in Sunday school, the teachers, whenever they're teaching young kids, they'll use flannel graph. Or uh, do we still use flannel graph? Yeah, <laughs> but they'll use something. It might be a video, but they use something to reduce it down to the most clear mental image possible, so the children can understand it. Did you know God has done that in the Bible? And whenever the Lord speaks about this matter of salvation and how we receive salvation, he gives us several examples. And for example, he talks about salvation being the result of looking. Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved, for I am God and there is none other. Right? Well, look back here in verse, in verse number 14. It says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's he talking about? Well, you go back and, boy, being a good Jew, Nicodemus knew all about this, as, as all of the Jews did. And back there in the wilderness, whenever you remember the Lord told the Moses to make a brazen serpent, put it upon a pole, and whoever looks upon that, and notice he didn't say whoever climbs that pole, did he? he said if you'll just look on it. That's all it took. And if you just look on that pole, you'll be spared from the wrath that is to come. And so the Lord is using this word look to, to speak about our faith and the simplicity of us trusting Christ as our Savior. He also uses the word come, coming unto me, come unto me, all ye ends of the earth, you know. Uh, and again and again, he used that word. It's an invitation, come to me. He uses the word receiving. He uses the word laying hold upon. He even uses the word eating. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And if any man eat of this bread, he'll never hunger again. He speaks about the salvation being similar to taking a drink. He said, I am the water of life. And if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. And, and, and so it goes on and on. The Lord trying to impress upon us the simplicity of trusting Christ as our Savior. That's the message that Paul preached. Remember whenever he was in the Philippian jail? What a great story that is. Paul and Silas in the jail. It's midnight when everybody else would be complaining about their rights being violated at midnight. They're singing praises unto the Lord. And as they're singing and praying at that dark hour of the night, all of a sudden God intervened and the prison began to shake and God set them free. And here comes the jailer running in. And the jailer and his family in those days lived there in the same structures where the jail was located. So he and his family were right there. They come running in, supposing the prisoners 
had, had fled, they're scared to death because he knows that he's responsible for them. And as a result of them escaping, that he's going to be executed. He's scared to death. And when he comes in, he is shocked beyond belief that, that Paul and Silas are still there. As I've often said, they weren't looking for a way out of the jail. They were looking for a way into the jailer's heart. And God provided it. And, and the jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Simple question, right? Serious question. What must I do to be saved? Well, you know, today, what if you would ask that question? There, you'd get all kinds of different answers. There'd be some that say, oh my, well, you've got to be baptized in order to be saved, or you've got to join a church, or you've got to join our church. You've got to become one of us in order to be saved. You've got to be a good neighbor. You've got to be a, a, a generous person, or whatever it is. This is the ideal opportunity for Paul to explain the way to salvation. And what does he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt I ask you again, are you a believer? That is the means to everlasting life. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, naturally I believe, but just in case that's not enough, I'm also depending on my baptism and church membership and generosity and goodness. You just ruined everything. Because you can't add anything to saving faith. And, and you see, salvation, the Bible, it says, is a gift from God. It's not something you earn. It's something that God gives to you. It's a gift. And whenever you add something to it, you just destroy the effectiveness of it. Uh, the, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ is pure and simple and, 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 and expressed in the Bible. And whenever you add something to it, then as Paul says, then you're preaching another gospel, not the gospel that saves. You see, for every truth in the Bible, Satan has a counterfeit. He doesn't just come out and deny the Bible and say, oh, you ought to throw that Bible away. He doesn't deny the existence of God. He just presents a substitute for that which is the truth. And he's been doing that forever. He does that in regards to the matter of salvation. And so a lot of people have the idea that faith in Christ isn't enough, that I've got to add something to it. And I'm saying you can't add anything to it. It's just pure and simple belief. Now notice the miracle of the new birth. Notice he said that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Remember, that's the result of not believing. But whoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I call that a miracle because that's something that only God can do. Regardless of how hard we try, we cannot in and of ourselves save ourselves. There's no way. And you'll remember in the conversation with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus how can, saying, how can a man be born again whenever he's old? He realizes, and you know, this is impossible. And the Lord said, whatever is born of flesh is flesh, but whatever is born of spirit, that is spirit. He's trying to open his eyes and get him to see that, Nicodemus, it's not what you do, it's what I do, what the Spirit of God does, and it's the Spirit of God who gives us life. Eternal life, spiritual life, 
So we never make ourselves acceptable to God. Now keep in mind, he's speaking to a self-righteous Jew. He's speaking to one who is a teacher of others. And the Lord said, what? You know, you're a teacher and, and you don't know these things? You don't understand what I'm trying to tell you? No, he didn't because the Jews were depending upon their own self-righteousness. My, I mean, for them, it all, it, it all become a matter of, of legalism. That you had to do this and you had to do that and you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that. And in addition to the laws that God had given, they had added to those numerous other laws that are handed down by tradition from one generation to another. So for someone to come along and to say to Nicodemus, look, dude, all you've got to do is believe. That flies in the face of everything he has been depending upon. Because in his mind, it's not just about believing, it's about doing. It's not just about trusting God to save me. It's about doing something that will impress God so he will accept me. And that never works. It takes a miracle to save a person. You don't save people by argument, debating issues. It takes a miracle, the working of the Holy Spirit who quickens us or makes us alive. In the very moment, the very split second that you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, at that very, you become a child of God and the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. I've tried to explain and I can't do it, but I've tried to explain the time when I trusted Christ as my Savior. And, I, and I've often said, you know, it was somewhere between that pew back there and, and, and whenever I went forward and knelt down because people would wonder, what did you pray? I don't know what I prayed. Well, did you pray out loud? I'm, I'm not sure what happened. All I know is whenever I lifted up my foot and started down that aisle, I knew at that split second that I am placing my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that split second, I became a child of God. Now, I, I mention all of this because a lot of folks, they've got the idea that you, yeah, you've got to walk down the aisle, you've got to get on your knees, you've got to pray. And there are some that believe, well, you've got to pray through. And they'll come down and they'll pray and they'll pray and they'll pray. And after a while, somebody else will come down. They, have you prayed through yet, brother? No. And they'll start beating them on the back and shouting in their ear, doing everything under the sun. Oh, I'm going to help you get through. And they get down. After a while, you got four or five all gathered around. And they're all praying that this person will finally pray and get through. That's the biggest bunch of nonsense in all of the world. All you got to do is believe. Just simple childlike faith. Now, we encourage people to walk down the aisle, and we encourage people to make a public profession of their faith. We encourage you to do that, but that's not the means whereby you become a Christian. You become a Christian simply by believing, by receiving what God has done for you. Now, we're not going to look at it, but I want to, I want to leave you with this reminder and that is that there will no doubt be marks by which belief is made known. You see, saying you believe is one thing, but showing it is another. Just as physical life is evidenced by vital signs, where there is spiritual life, 
there are going to be certain vital signs. If you're driving down the road and you see a body laying over there in the ditch and you get out and you go over and you examine this person and you feel for the pulse and you can tell them they've got a pulse there. You get your ear down there. You can tell they're breathing. There are certain vital signs. They're still alive. But if you get over there and you find out there's no pulse, there's no heartbeat, there's no breathing. I, I'm, I mean, there's absolutely no sign of life. Yeah, you can pretty well conclude this guy's dead, Right. And so us saying that we are Christians is one thing, but I want you to understand that there are many marks by which we can know whether we truly believe or not. So whenever I ask that question, are you a believer? I, w I want you to honestly examine yourself, as the Bible tells you to do, to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith or not. The best place to find these vital signs is, is over in First John. And that's what that whole letter is all about. You go over there and begin reading through that, and you'll find different vital signs for the person that is truly a believer. They'll begin to withdraw themselves from their sinful ways. They'll worship God in spirit and in truth. Their, their works will be characteristic of Christ. There will be a willingness to obey Christ, a willingness to please Christ. There will be a wholeness of life. But in addition to all of those things that involve stuff that we do that gives evidence that we're saved, there's another thing that seldom gets mentioned, and that's the fact that there will be the witness of the Spirit. The Spirit, speaking of God's Spirit, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. You can burn my Bible and uh, I, I would hate for you to do that. You could burn my Bible, but that wouldn't destroy my assurance of salvation. Now, you see, the Holy Spirit reminds me that I'm a child of God. I, I don't need I don't need somebody to remind me and tell me, oh yeah, don't you remember way back then on that certain day that you trusted Christ as your Savior? Well, I happen to remember that, but I don't need to because the Spirit of God assures me that I am. A child of God. Listen, if you are a believer, you ought to behave like a believer. Your faith in Christ ought to be evident to other people. And, and if you're not a believer, let me ask you a favor. If you're not a believer, would you tell me why? Now, I want to do something you've probably never seen a preacher do before. I'm going to let you do that right here, right now in this service. If you're not a believer... Would you tell me why? Would you explain to me why? I'm, I'm not being facetious. I'd really like to know why. Why wouldn't you be a believer? Think about it. Well, I can't think of any reason either. Do you realize how serious it is whenever we refuse to believe God? Think about that. When we refuse to believe God, number one, we're saying that God is a liar. He said, whosoever believes in me shall have what? Everlasting life, right? He said, if, you know, if we trust him, he'll save us. And yet there are those that say, I'm not going to believe. First John chapter number 5, verse 10 says, He that believeth not... He that believeth not, he that believeth not God hath made him a liar 
because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. It's serious business when you call God a liar. Because what you're saying is, is that God's not trustworthy. You, you, you know, you, you just can't depend on God. Oh yeah, I know that, yeah, sure, He sent His Son, He died on the cross, He arose from the grave, He promised He'd save me if I would trust Him, but, uh, you know, you, you can't trust God like that. Let me tell you, you're wrong. And I know you're wrong because I have put God to the test. I have proven God. And I know it sounds silly or shocking to some people when I make this statement, but I believe it with all of my heart. If, if When I die, if I don't go to heaven, it's going to be God's fault. Because, I, I, listen, I did what God told me to do. I trusted Him. I trusted Him. I can't do any more. I trusted Him. I don't have any doubt about whether I'm saved or not. Why? Because I'm not trusting in me. I put my faith in Him. And how dare we say to God, I don't think I can trust you. And, and, and why would we be so foolish as to say, you know, I'm just not interested in whatever He'd have to offer. I put God to the test and I look back and think about how God has kept every promise. God has met every need. God has done everything He promised to do. I know that I can trust God. You can too. But the question is, are you a believer? You might be a member of this church and you're not really a believer. Not in the sense that you have complete confidence in the saving grace of a loving God, in the sense that you are trusting in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a believer? Here in just a little while, we'll be baptizing some folks, but that's not going to make them a believer. We don't baptize them to cause them to become believers. We baptize them because they are believers. Are you a believer? If not, would you right here, right now this morning say, by the grace of God, I'm going to be a believer. I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. You can do that right there where you are. And then I want you to come forward and let Brother Kenneth or I know so we can share with the church. Let them know that, that you just now trusted Jesus Christ to save your soul. Let's stand and those awaiting baptism, if you would come, please. We're going to sing here in just a little bit, and it's like I said, you can be saved without walking down this aisle right where you are, just with maybe bow your head, express in your heart the fact of the Lord that right here, right now, I'm trusting you. Corey, what's your last name, son? Gerard. This is Corey Gerard. Raise your hand back uh, or up back there. Uh, now, I'm doing this because because James has already presented himself, but Corey, as he's been coming on Wednesday night and Sunday night mostly, and we've been talking with him, and he has assured us that he's trusted Christ as his Savior, and he wants to follow the Lord in baptism. So I know this is a surprise to you, but I'll bet everybody's in favor of it, right? Amen. Amen. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody else here this morning would make the decision that Corey made?
and, 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 and that James made when they trusted Christ. You can do that this morning. And you can have the hope of heaven in your heart. That blessed assurance that, that, that is so dear to Brother Ron. You can have that kind of assurance this morning. Would you trust him while we sing together? Just as I am Let me say this, and I'm going to turn the service over to Brother Kenneth and go get ready for the baptism. If you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I can tell you exactly what's going on in your heart right now because I've been where you are. I've been there. And right now, as you're struggling within yourself, you know deep down in your heart that you do not have the assurance of heaven. You do not have that joy and that thrill of knowing that all of your sins have been forgiven. Deep down in your heart, you even know that what I've said this morning is right. It's right because it came out of the Bible. You know all of that. And, and yet you're struggling. It might be that you're concerned about what are people going to think. They, they think I'm saved. I, it'd be so embarrassing. I'll tell you, I can tell you exactly what they'd think. They'd think, hallelujah, praise the Lord. They'd be thrilled to know that finally you stopped pretending and started trusting. And there'll never be a better time, there'll never be a better place for you to be saved than right here, right now, this morning. Would you come while we sing this next stanza? Come on.
communion, but I just want you and I to be able to celebrate right now that we have joy down here before us, and joy has just trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen. And, and it's your turn, too. It's your time, too. We're about to pray together, and, I'm, and we're just going to celebrate it, and she's going to thank the Lord for her salvation. But it's your time. You come up. Brother John's right here. There's, there's people around here that can help you, all right? Keep, keep on. night and uh, hear his testimony and uh, see his concern about doing what God wants him to do that's been a real blessing and now to see him finally here and at this moment to share with you his, the testimony of his salvation and it's thrilling and we trust you'll remember him in prayer. Upon a public profession of your faith and in obedience to his command, I baptize thee, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, planted in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his might not know this is Tiffany's brother. I saw Tiffany praying a while ago. She's way back there and I know that nobody could be happier this morning than she is and we're so thankful for what God has been doing in James's life and again you pray for him and he's expressed his great desire to serve the Lord. You just pray God will use him. Upon the public profession of your faith and in obedience to his command I baptize thee, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, planted in the likeness of his death. Yeah. <laughs> 
All of those in favor of receiving your recess, I will not hand. All opposed, like sign. They're all for you, Joy. <laughs> Upon a public profession of your faith and in obedience to his command, I baptize thee, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, planted in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of earth. something like that and so we're so grateful for the blessings of the Lord. Tim lead us in another song they're going to be down. Joy didn't even bring a, any clothes to change into so she'll be dripping wet but we'll get her dried off. That's okay Amen. Well I was going to say we'll go for tonight but I can't help it we're going to have to do it. you need a book it's in page 554. We're actually going to do I'll Fly Away yeah, I was saving it for tonight, but anyway, got to do it now. So stand with me, why don't you? 554, if you need your book. If you don't, just sing along. I'll fly away. Sit down, or we'll we'll be dismissed in just a second here, and uh, 
Well, I hope that you'll come by and uh, and uh, let them know you rejoice with them. Uh, some of you have heard me talk about it many times back when I pastored in Missouri. That's uh, that, that's the way we did it. When somebody got saved, uh, you know, a lot of times they wanted to wait, but uh, we we always told them if you're ready, and we've gone to the creek. Summer, winter, I'm talking about snowing so hard you couldn't see. The service is over, everybody load up in the car, go down to the creek and have a have a baptismal service. Nobody ever died from pneumonia. And well what a what a great day. And this listen, it's just half over. I no telling what might happen tonight, but I hope you'll be here and encourage somebody to come back and uh, be here with you. Let's bow our heads together and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and then uh, then you, you come by and... Uh, anybody? Fred, Scott, would you word our prayer please, sir? Thank you. 